2 Corinthians, we'll begin at the first verse of the first chapter as we give our attention to the infallible Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That's as far as we'll read this morning. May God add his blessing to his word. Beloved, every human life, every human life can be considered in light of three questions. Where have I been? Where am I? And where am I going? Every life, every individual Those three questions cover your life. Where have I been? Where am I? And where am I going? Just last week, we said last sermons of 2021. Well, here we are this morning in God's providence. Another Lord's Day. First Lord's Day of a new year. First sermon of 2022. For whatever it's worth, let the calendar that we use be an encouragement to you this morning. 
to take the time, even now, to reflect, to consider, and to think about those three great questions. Where have I been? Where am I? And where am I going? Now, of course, those questions can be thought about and answered from an earthly point of view in all kinds of ways. I used to live here. Now I'm living here. I hope to live there. I had this job. Now I'm in this job. I really want that job. All kinds of ways. I had that relationship. Now I'm in this relationship. I'd sure love to have that relationship, whatever it is. In an earthly way, we can answer those questions. But even more importantly, those questions need to be answered from a spiritual and from an eternal point of view. Before God, in relationship with God, where have I been? Where am I this morning? And where am I going? You know, the Apostle Paul, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, reflected that way. He reflected along those same lines. And he wrote to these Christians here in Corinth and in that part of Greece to tell them about it because, he says, he didn't want them to be uninformed. That word means to be unaware or even agnostic, if we would translate it more literally. There is something that he needed to tell them that they wouldn't be uninformed or unaware. Now, we can be uninformed about many things. We're probably more uninformed about things than we usually like to admit. But Paul wanted these Christians to know these details about his life. More more than so that they just wouldn't be unaware or agnostic about what was happening to Paul, but that they wouldn't be unaware of how God was in it all. I don't want you to be unaware about this. Yes, these things were happening to me, but what about God in it all? Why was it important for these Christians to know these details as Paul begins here in verse 8? We don't want you to be uninformed about what happened. Why was it important for these Christians to know these details of Paul's life? Where he had been, where he was, where he was going. Several reasons. He wanted to show his commitment to them. His willingness to suffer for them as a confirmation of his ministry when false apostles, as you read more in the letter, false apostles were trying to discredit Paul. And he said, no, no, no. My life is proof enough that I love you, that I'm committed to you. He says in the, the part that we just read that these things were happening, suffer and distress in his life, somehow being worked for their comfort and salvation. So there were those reasons. But even more, Paul wants to say these things. He doesn't want them to be unaware because in his life and circumstances, the Apostle Paul had been taught a great spiritual lesson. And this lesson, Paul didn't want these brothers and sisters in Christ to be ignorant of. I don't want you to be unaware of this. 
And as Paul thought about what had happened to him and what was happening to him and what would happen down the road, in all these things, he had learned a great gospel lesson. He was convinced of a gospel certainty about God. There's so much we could say from even this opening section of 2 Corinthians, but we're going to focus in this morning on verse 10. On verse 10. That's where this great spiritual lesson is found. And this is a verse which is so aptly suited to a New Year's message. And it is so beautifully signified and sealed in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, as we'll see. And it is something that is so wonderfully experienced by all of God's people, without exception, all of God's people. Look at verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Three statements there in that one verse about God's deliverance. Has, will, and will continue. He has delivered us. He will deliver us. He will continue to deliver us. The New King James Version, in that translation, following the King James Version, has a slight difference because of a difference in some manuscripts. Listen to that English version. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And in that translation, the grammar is even more clearly seen. And it's gospel grammar. The title of the sermon, Gospel Grammar. Where, where, here it is. In terms of Paul's deliverance, he makes statements, uh, God's deliverance of Paul. Paul makes statements in a grammatical way because he speaks about the past, the present, and the future. God has delivered us. He is delivering us. And he will deliver us. Past, present, and future. In his own life, Paul looked back and he saw God. Then he looked around and he saw God. And then he was also enabled to look ahead. And with every look, he saw the same thing the one on whom he had set his hope. Wherever he looked, the one we have set our hope upon. Let's look this morning briefly at those three looks in Paul's life to see how this great gospel lesson applied so that we could learn it and not be ignorant of it. Paul first looks back, verse 8, hardships in the province of Asia. It's a, it's a strong word for hardships. 
It's not the kind of, I've got a hangnail this morning kind of thing. This word is translated trouble or affliction. It literally means crushing pressure. Hardships. What were they? We can't say for sure. But there are lots of possibilities that would qualify in what we know of the Apostle Paul's life. The end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, he says, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus. That's almost certainly figurative language. Paul was a Roman citizen. He wouldn't have been thrown to the lions in an arena uh, like other early Christians were. But that's the way he described it. It was like fighting wild beasts. Or just listen again to that familiar passage at the end of 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul is just giving a thumbnail sketch of his hardships. And he's speaking, again, with reference to those false apostles. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. We don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered. So we don't know for sure what Paul has in mind in that verse, perhaps. But I think it's safe to say that Paul is not exaggerating when he refers to them as hardships. And I think it's also probably safe to say that most of us wouldn't want to put our suffering, especially our suffering for the sake of the gospel, next to the Apostle Paul's and see how it measures up. What did these hardships, what did these circumstances result in for Paul experientially? He says that they resulted in being under great pressure. Literally, hyperbolic burden. It was a hyperbolic burden that these circumstances placed on the Apostle Paul. He then goes on to say, It was far beyond our ability to endure. The circumstances that he were in, these circumstances that he was in, they were so clearly things that were utterly beyond his own strength or power to deal with. 
He then says, again, experientially, that they despaired of life. Utterly at a loss. One dictionary translates this word. Utter, to be utterly at a loss. Utterly destitute of measures or resources. Renouncing all hope. That's what they felt. Verse 9, indeed, in our hearts or in ourselves, we felt the sentence of death. In terms of his ability to fix it, it was as if they had received the sentence of death. Nothing we can do. What a description that is. And Paul saying for himself, for his compatriots, in themselves, in light of their own resources, their own strength, their own ability, they were utterly, utterly at the end of their rope. When Paul looked back in this particular context, he saw an utterly desperate situation. But in that situation, he had learned a divine lesson. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. There was a purpose. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. The lesson was the lesson of faith. Because true faith is not introspective. It is, it's not just looking inside. Faith, by nature, looks away from yourself. It's the object of faith that is the important thing about faith. It looks away from yourself to another. And is there anything to look to? Is there anyone to look to? Paul knew there was. This is the glorious good news of the Bible. He looked away from himself to God who raises the dead. To the God of whom it is said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Paul's situation was like a death sentence. Experientially, he was utterly destitute and so dead, as it were, to help himself. But God delivered him. God delivered him. Somehow, and we don't know the details, somehow, not owing to Paul himself, he was delivered. He was rescued. That's what Paul saw when he looked back. And then Paul also looked around. The language of the verse implies in his current situation, there were obviously similar desperate circumstances. And here too, Paul could see God's hand. He does deliver us. And that power of God to deliver, to rescue as he looked back and as he looked around, is then combined with the doctrine of God's character, his faithfulness and unchangeableness, to produce this great declaration of gospel faith. And he will deliver us. 
God's deliverance in all three tenses. He has delivered us. He is delivering us. And he will deliver us. Charles Spurgeon said what Paul was doing here was he was having this personal exercise of memory, observation, and then expectation. What had happened to him? What was happening to him? Well, put those together in light of the God who raises the dead and you have this expectation. It's gospel grammar and gospel logic at work. God has, he is, and he will. Are you unaware of that as a Christian? Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be agnostic. Nah, I don't know. doesn't want that. Do you know this gospel grammar in your own life? Again, look back this morning. Look back in your life. Take time to reflect. Has God brought you through situations that were utterly beyond yourself? Has he? Call it to mind. And then look around right now in your life. Look around. Can't you see God's hand at work in so many ways in your life? Blessing you, encouraging you, strengthening you, providing for you. And then, as we look ahead, and again, we know the future is not known in detail to us. We have the question, what will this year hold? What's going to happen in this situation, that situation? But as you look ahead, the Holy Spirit of God, like the Apostle Paul, doesn't want you to be ignorant or agnostic about the God in whom you hope, who has delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. From a human perspective, again, looking at himself, Paul could say that there was only despair. But looking to the one on whom he had set his hope, he could say this later on in 2 Corinthians, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. In and of himself, despair. Looking to the God of his hope, perplexed but not in despair. Because he has delivered and is delivering and will still deliver us. Paul could look at so many circumstances and troubles in his life, and as he trusted in God and not in himself, he was sure of God's deliverance, past, present, and future. But now let's bring it home. 
What situation are you thinking about right now? And you're wondering about God's deliverance. What are you thinking? You don't have to say it out loud. But I know that almost all of you, unless you're sleeping, are thinking about something right now. And you're hearing this and you're saying, really? I look back and I can look around, but as I look ahead, really? What are you telling me this morning? What are you saying this morning here from God's word? What for you this morning might be a fear for the future that you have this morning at the outset of 2022? Will God deliver me? Will he deliver us? Listen to what Matthew Poole said. Former experiences of God's goodness in delivering us out of troubles ought to increase our faith and produce a confidence in us that God will yet deliver us. If it may be for his own glory and our own good. Friends, that last part is so important. Because that's bringing all of the Bible to bear on a passage like this. A confidence in us that God will yet deliver us if it may be for his own glory and our own good. So important. We could look at many examples in the Bible and in church history where God did deliver people out of many things and many situations. But we could also look at situations where he seemingly did not. Daniel was delivered. David was delivered. Daniel was delivered from the mouth of the lion. David was delivered from the hand of Saul. But was Stephen delivered? The first Christian martyr in the book of Acts? Was James, the brother of John, delivered in Acts 12? Executed? Look carefully at the end of Hebrews 11. Some quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Yes. But others... the passage goes on. Others were chained and put in prison, stoned, sawn in two, and put to death by the sword. And they all live by faith in the God who delivers. Was Paul ultimately delivered? In the future, in terms of this verse, when he wrote it in 2 Corinthians. Was Paul ultimately delivered? When, as it seems likely, according to tradition, he was eventually beheaded under the emperor Nero? Were you wrong, Paul? You looked back and you looked around and you saw God's deliverance. You said, and he will deliver. And your head rolls on the ground. 
Were you wrong? Is God lying to you this morning? Our faith, beloved, and our submissive trust must be in the God who raises the dead. Not just figuratively in terms of the earthly situations that Paul was writing about here in Paul's near-death experiences, but truly and actually, really, he is the God who raises the dead. This is the Lord's day. It's not just the first Sunday of the New Year. This is the Lord's day. This is resurrection day. Jesus Christ crucified, dead, and buried on the third day, raised again the first fruits of all his people. He is Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 1, who rescues or delivers us from the coming wrath, from eternal hell. That is the great deliverance that the Bible points us to and that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. People that deny hell these days, and there are more and more of them in the church, don't know who Jesus is, obviously. Because he is the one who delivers us from the coming wrath. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Is that the Jesus you're trusting in? Raised from the dead? Who because of his cross and his resurrection is able to deliver you from the coming wrath? If you're trusting in him, he's delivered you. And he is delivering you. And he will deliver you. Full stop. Is your hope not just in a vague way in God somehow, but biblically in the crucified and risen Christ today? Is that where your hope is today? In Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.10 is spiritually and eternally true. God in Christ has delivered you. In the new birth, in regeneration, you have been delivered from condemnation through faith in your justification. He has delivered you. And he is delivering you in and through ongoing temptation and sin and spiritual battle in your sanctification. He is delivering you. And he will deliver you and all of God's people one day in glorification. And these things are true, and this promise will never fail for any child of God. Beloved, all of our earthly trials, troubles, and deliverances must be seen in light of the unseen and the eternal. Was Paul delivered from Nero? No. And yes, yes, he was. Oh, if we could just ask the Apostle Paul, so I'm not getting into some weird thing, but if you could ask the Apostle Paul this morning, Paul, did were you delivered? He'd say, oh, in a more glorious way than you can even imagine now still here on the earth. I was delivered. Verse 10 reminds us that Our lives will constantly be under great pressure. 
But if we need deliverance past, present, and future, that means there's, there are troubles past, present, and future. That's, that's the implication. But Jesus teaches us, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And Jesus has left us this meal as a sacrament. And it deals with the past, the present, and the future. Do this in remembrance of me. We are to look back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, take, eat. That's the present. The token, the pledge of strength and grace sufficient for the day. Take, eat. And Jesus says, God's word tells us we do this, proclaiming his death until he comes again. That's the future. All three here in the Lord's table for us. And as we live our lives as Christians in this world, we must leave it to God then to ordain in our lives both the both the hardships and the deliverances. Both the trials and the rescues. God will sovereignly choose the timing and the method of deliverance for us. Again, Matthew Poole put it helpfully. And if it be for the advantage of the church of Christ that our lives should be prolonged, and then he put in parentheses, though we desire rather to be dissolved and to be with Christ, we are confident that he will yet deliver. If it is for the advantage of the church, for our good and for the glory of God, we are confident he will yet deliver. As God works out his mysterious providence, his very often dark providence, but always his holy and wise providence, we have this confidence. He has delivered, he is delivering, and he will deliver. We don't have time to open it up this morning, but what should we see in our lives as we really embrace that by faith? Two great practical fruits, prayer and thanksgiving. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf. This should be constant in our lives and as we gather as the church. Prayers in light of these distressing things and thanksgiving for the deliverances that we see. And ultimately, prayer and thanksgiving in light of the great deliverance that God has, is, and will accomplish in all of his people, spiritually and eternally. John Layton Wilson was a name I didn't really know before. I've been reading missionary biographies over the holiday time. He's a Southern Presbyterian missionary to West Africa in the mid-1800s very involved in seeing the slave trade really uh, stopped. 
He wrote to a church in the mid-1800s, a church in the States, devastated by the American Civil War. As the writer says, helping congregations that have been broken by the ravages of war, repairing shattered churches, sending evangelists throughout the wasted land to plant new churches. And this is what John Layton Wilson wrote. A dark cloud hangs upon our horizon, but the great mediatorial king reigns, and the church is safe. He who has hitherto defended us from every enemy, upheld us under every trial, and from time to time has bestowed so many precious tokens of his favor upon us as a church, surely will be faithful to the end. Let us then go forward in the path of duty with a firm step and a courageous heart. Wilson had learned 2 Corinthians 1.10. And the Apostle Paul put it this way just before his death. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.